Hello, Alex from Scrimba here. You are listening to a recording of one of our weekly fireside chats here at Scrimba. In a nutshell, we sit around an imaginary campfire and have real conversations about learning to code and how to land your first junior developer job. We bring out the imaginary kindling every Tuesday, and while we hope you enjoy this recording, we would much prefer to see you there live, because when you attend live, you get to participate in the chat and ask us questions. To learn more about the Fireside Chat, such as how to join, what exciting topics are upcoming, and what specific time the event happens in your time zone, head to scrimba.com forward slash fireside. On behalf of myself, my wonderful co-host Leanne from Scrimba, and everybody else on the Scrimba team, and our occasional guests here in the Fireside Chat, please enjoy this episode, and remember to subscribe so that you see future episodes as well as support the show. Let's get into it. All right, three minutes past five, and it's time to start the Fireside Chats. Welcome, everybody, to another Fireside Chats. These are weekly conversations we have every Tuesday, same time, same place, about various topics to do with learning how to code and becoming a hireable developer. With that said, starting a YouTube dev channel might seem a little bit off topic, but let me assure you that it is very much on topic because there are a lot of advantages to starting a YouTube channel around programming in 2021. Perhaps now more so than ever, there seems to be a tidal wave of developer YouTube channels, which yes, improves the competitiveness in in one sense, but also programming is so vast, there will always be opportunities to find your niche. And that's something we're going to try and teach you how to do today. We'll also talk a little bit about how to come up with topics to talk about and feel confident about what you have to say, tools to record and edit and upload the episodes, as well as some healthy, hygienic tips about YouTube in terms of starting your channel, making sure you have a nice, appealing brand that your videos are consistent and you're making the most of all the features YouTube has to offer. Just quickly, this is a fireside chat, which means it happens on the stage Discord channel. Stage is a special type of channel here on Discord where you can raise your hand to join the stage should you have any questions. But for those among you who perhaps can't talk right now, we also keep a close eye on the Fireside Chat text channel. To kick things off though, I would love it if we all just took a turn introducing ourselves, our names, what we do at Scrimba, as well as our experience with YouTube. Leanne? They recognize me from such YouTube channels as the Scrimba one and more recently my own. Code with Leanne on Scrimba. There are currently three streams. There's Monday, which is looking at weekly web dev challenge submissions and launching the next challenge. There is Wednesday, which is an expert interview where I talk to people about all kinds of things uh, to do with web development. And then on Friday, I am joined by Michael, where we make fools of ourselves live coding the weekly web dev challenge. So that's a lot of fun. And then over on my personal channel, Code with with Leanne, I make short videos about very specific parts of web development, usually CSS, about five minutes long, tackling something quite discreet. So, for example, how to code a custom bullet point. And just quickly, how many subscribers do each of those channels have? Code with Leanne has 149 and Scrimba has 8,880. Exactly. And I think when you joined Scrimba in particular, the the number was less. And so you've been a key part of that growth, obviously. And, And to be honest, 150 subscribers, but you've only been making videos consistently for a couple of months. So I think it's worth like time quantifying it as well. But yeah, Michael, please, please introduce yourself. Yeah. Hey, I'm Michael. I do bits and bobs around Scrimba, 
my connection to YouTube is pretty much I kind of inherited it from Pear um, when he started off. And then I was the one who basically uploaded a lot of the courses to Scrimby YouTube channel and did the SEO for it. And then Leanne uh, took it over and uh, took it into way more capable hands than I was. So I'm pretty happy about that. On the personal side, I don't have any tech YouTube channels. I just do like uh, nature long videos. Uh, but kind of a lot of things still carry over. SEO, thumbnails, descriptions and so on. Could you just define SEO quickly in case someone doesn't recognize the acronym? Uh, yeah, sure. Search engine optimization. So it's basically when you upload your video or you publish your blog post. SEO is important so it doesn't get lost into the void of the internet. And if you optimize it, when people search for things, they would find your stuff. Like for example, you can create a YouTube video about CSS. And uh, if you just upload it with saying like, I do CSS, then obviously probably no one will find it. But if you use tips and tricks to make sure that Google ranks it properly, then whoever searches for that particular term, they will find your uh, content and they would get to know you. Like for example, I have SEO optimized my blog and uh, I created a pretty good article about CSS uh, flip cards. And I think I was on Google at some point on the first page. So I was pretty proud of that, but I wasn't proud that it was CSS because <laughs> I hate it. That's great though. And I'm excited to delve a bit more into that because what a lot of people sometimes don't realize about YouTube is that it is both a search engine. Also, obviously Google own YouTube. So sometimes Google the independent search engine is going to rank YouTube videos instead of like a Vimeo video or something. But also it's a recommendation engine, meaning that if you upload something with a really compelling title, thumbnail, and there is engagement to support the fact that it's an interesting video, YouTube will basically peddle it to more people. And, and you'd be absolutely shocked at just how far some videos can go with the, with the minimal amount of effort when it comes to marketing it, thanks to YouTube. But yeah, my name's Alex. I'm a community manager at Scrimba. I contribute a little bit to a YouTube channel, but more so these days working on things like the Scrimba podcast and a Discord bot. On the side, I've, I've always had a YouTube channel called Codecast that has 20,000 subscribers. But the truth is a lot of those, I've not really uploaded a video in many years actually. And a lot of those subscribers have just come without me, um, without me being very active just because I made a few good videos way back when that YouTube peddled with the algorithm. And it earned me a lot of attention and opportunities crucially. Like I really genuinely think that I got my first junior dev job because in the email the company sent me, they were like, we saw your YouTube channel. We think it's really good. Would you perhaps be interested in coming down to speak to us for an interview or something and so i'm obviously very bullish on on youtube i think it's a, a great platform and whether it's youtube or a different platform even i think there's a lot of benefits to uh, talking about code and teaching code as you've probably heard us mention many times before at scrimba it's something we believe in a lot but with that said let's focus on youtube and let's talk about some of the specific reasons why if you're a junior developer or you're an aspiring junior developer that you should perhaps consider creating videos and creating videos for youtube at that perhaps leanne you could talk us through this a little bit and we'll branch off in a few different directions as we as we see fit isn't i started my personal youtube channel code with leanne was mainly to help me to learn and it does this in a few different ways so solidifying your knowledge, it's the classic, you learn something in a tutorial, have you really understood it? You can test that by creating a video. And a few times, uh, not all the time, but sometimes I've started to try to explain it and then realize either I didn't understand it as well as I thought I had, 
or there's an edge case that I haven't encountered that works in a slightly different way. There's that. You can also show off what you know and prove your knowledge. So like Alex mentioned, it's a great way to demonstrate your skills before you even get anywhere near the interview stage. It's a bit of a diary or reference for you later. And by that, I mean kind of two things. So if there's consistently struggle to do, but you don't do very often, so you can never remember how to do it, if you make a video about that, so you're going to help other people who get stuck. And secondly, you'll help yourself in the future. You can just watch through your video again and not have to search on Stack Overflow for three hours. It can also be a diary for your progress. So you can look back in a year and see what you've learned in terms of skills and also hopefully how much better you've got at making videos. It's a good way to meet people as well. You might be interested in doing collaborations. It's a great way to network, get to know people, share your knowledge. So perhaps you don't have much knowledge on a certain topic. You know of someone who does. You can pull your knowledge and create videos together. And uh, building an online presence, as we've discussed in a few of the live streams, is very important in your job search. So some people like to run blogs to do that. Another great way of doing that is YouTube. Yeah, I have to admit, um, I remember once we were hiring uh, a developer and we asked him uh, an interview question. And his reply was, oh, I made a YouTube video about that. And uh, we watched it right there in the interview. And uh, that was that was a very strong signal um, for the candidate. So we quite enjoyed that. I can't believe that happened. That's, an inc that's incredible. Yeah. I've often felt like, you know, if you make a YouTube video, imagine you are practicing for a job interview. You not only need to understand the concept, like it just an arbitrary example, but it could be that you're learning a merge sort algorithm, for example. Part of the test isn't just to code it and make it work, but probably to talk for your solution. Imagine making a YouTube video just to practice talking through that solution. You're going to get better and more eloquent. You're going to anticipate questions as you kind of think through it more. If you ever do upload it, the comments might point out a correction, but better someone in the comments than an interviewer, right? And oh my God, if you can actually bring it up in the interview and say, hey, I don't know the answer, but I know where to find it. And I'm the one who made the resource. I think that's not only helpful, but it just make, it's just cool, right? Like I, I like working with people like that who are doing cool things like making YouTube videos on the side. And it probably is a really positive signal. That's so cool you actually experienced that. Brilliant. So just in the chat, I'd love to know, like you're obviously here at a fireside chat about starting a YouTube channel. Perhaps some of you are just consistent and show up to most fireside chats. For that, we really appreciate you. But if you have a specific interest in YouTube, I'd, I'd love and we would love to hear why, um, what your interest is with YouTube. Um, so if you could just take a moment in the fireside chat to write a little sentence about if you are interested in making a YouTube video or making YouTube videos, you can just simply write that you're interested. If you're interested for a specific reason, if something's you know motivated you or you think there's a specific reason you should be doing it, we'd love to hear about that too. I wanted to come back to something you mentioned, Leanne, about the, the benefit of collaborating and, and meeting with new people. Are there any sort of uh, real examples out there in the world that any of us can, can think about? Certainly on the Scrimba YouTube, on the live streams, I the opportunity to speak to of people that I wouldn't have had any chance to really speak to otherwise, including Scrimmer teachers like Aaron Powell, Gary Simon, uh, lots of career experts, recruiters, and uh, people review CVs and LinkedIn's, and lots of other experts over the few months I've been doing it now. It's been really cool. Some of those we've also brought into other aspects of Scrimmer, for example, 
Barry Fisher, who was the accessibility trainer, is now making a course for us. And we've had some of our guests that come over to the podcast. So, yeah, it's been really good for that. I'm really excited for that course on accessibility. And yeah, the podcast, exactly. Like there are so many people that I have an opportunity to speak to. Um, in, in truth, it's part of my job, but I also am pretty sure I could get these people to to come on a podcast with me, if not for the fact that I was doing it with Scrimber, just because I position it like this. It's like you can talk to me for an hour and I will help broadcast it. And then you're helping hundreds of people. I think most people who have something to share, they, they want to help. But doing it one on one with hundreds of people is quite tough. When you invite them onto a podcast, it's a great pretext to have a chat. And if you are revolving the conversation around something fairly general, maybe even your, but here's the thing, even if it's about your specific coding issues or your specific career issues, you'd be surprised at how many people would be happy to come on and help you with those things. Kensi Dodds, who was on the podcast recently, he reminded me that back in the day, if he ever, ever had a Google Hangout chat with someone, say somebody who followed him, messaged him, he has over 100,000 followers, so it comes up from time to time. I said, hey, Kent, can you help me with this? He's like, okay, we'll jump on a Google Hangout, but we are going to record it and upload it. And in Kent's mind, I think this was a way of helping someone, but not just the individual in the call and then the data or the knowledge going into the abyss. But obviously if it's a YouTube video, um, you know, it can be shared with hundreds of people and for years to come. And what Kent also pointed out was that because of that exact same thing, that's how he got people like Dan Abramov um, to talk to him. He would say, Dan, I have some questions about React. I know you're really busy. What if you join me on a Hangout and record it and we turn it into a YouTube video and now you're helping me, but everything you share is going to be broadcasted to more people. And, and obviously that's quite a legit example. Like Dan Abramov is a, or is or was a core contributor to React. Kent has a big audience. That That's quite a natural fit. But, but there are many, many more examples of people with less followers. You could invite Leanne or Michael onto your YouTube channel. Um, would you Would you guys join? <laughs> Definitely. Sounds great. I could totally see that happening. Yeah, that sounds fun. Well, there you go. If you want to make a YouTube channel and um, in invite a guest to talk about something, you've got your first guests right here among us on the stage. That's very cool. Here's something I want to I want to draw attention to before we go too much further because it's something that I've heard before and it seems to resonate with the chat here a little bit um, but I saw Lacho in particular right and I think Marika mentioned it too about not really liking the sound of your own voice when you play back the audio I, I have to say it doesn't bother me these days but it bloody well used to What's your experience been with your channel and making videos, Leanne? Uh, Michael, I, I'm curious about your perspective too, because you're on the streams, but I don't imagine in the nature videos, you're, you're talking as much as letting the nature do the speaking for itself. Um, but yeah, we can take turns. What do you think, Leanne? Well, I started the live stream on Scrimba before I started my YouTube channel. And I didn't want to do it at first, really because of the sound of my voice. I'm not naturally the kind of person who enjoys being on camera. Or so I thought. And um, the first few weeks were quite nerve-wracking. But now I really enjoy it. What can we garner from this? Well, there's that phrase, isn't there, that you can only be sure you don't like something if you've tried it three times. I'm sure that's true with everything. Um, <laughs> but with something like this, I think it might be. Give it a go. I've tried uh, Angular three times. I still don't like it. <laughs> yeah, there are some exceptions for sure. In terms of not liking the sound of your own voice, I think that's kind of universal thing that everyone has so don't worry about it it's extremely unlikely that you have a noticeably silly voice but that's it like, i actually it, do have one but no, 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 don't be silly. <laughs> most people don't but it's true isn't it like 
you would never, you yourself, if you're someone who's not sure about the sound of your voice, you've probably never, ever, ever watched a YouTube video or a TV show and been like, oh, that, pers- that person's voice really stands out to me as being being strange or unlikable or something like that. Like logically, you know that it's just in your head. But I also think it's in your head for a very, very legit reason, which is that I think we hear our voice through our ears and humans and people, we like things we're familiar with. So we get you, we get comfortable with the sound of our voice as we know it. But once you record it and play it back, it, it will sound different. It's actually true that if you see a reflection in a mirror and then you get a slightly different mirror, you can feel less or more attractive in it because it's actually not what you're used to, right? Like you, you kind of grow to, to like what you see the most, of, most often and are familiar with. And, and so the solution, the actual solution to this is just to push your comfort zone a little bit and record it. And to be honest, you don't have to play it back. Like if we're being honest, like you, you could just not play it back, to be honest. Don't worry about it, basically. Pretty unlikely that you're going to be like Janice from Friends or something. <laughs> oh no i feel self-conscious <laughs> laughing after you said that i've got to be <laughs> but yeah chandler <laughs> yeah <laughs> is it any is it something you've ever struggled with at all michael or is it just become quite natural yeah i still hate my voice i still have my voice i can definitely relate to a lot of people uh especially non-native speakers because you you have a sound of your voice and your accent on top to think about mm. and it's yeah I, to be honest i remember being a kid and I remember listening voice recording. It wasn't a voice recording. It was like a answer phone. I remember hearing my voice on the answer phone for the first time. When I was like 10 or something. I remember I hated it so much. Uh, so yeah, it hasn't changed really since. Uh, I still like, I rarely watch our streams with Leanne just because I think I sound goofy. Uh, so yeah, it, it's, it kind of stays there, but I just kind of learned to live with it. And uh, no one so far commented on it. So I thought, nah, it, it's probably just me then. Yeah, nature videos, that's why I filmed them. Uh, <laughs> they don't have my voice. Oh, man. Someone did comment on it. They said you had a divine voice. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> that, that sounds a bit strange, but I'll take that. I'll take that. Yeah, the comments yeah. on YouTube get... Someone once told me that I sound like Jon Snow from Game of Thrones, which I think is just okay. a big generalization of British accents, to be fair, but I like that. <laughs> There's one one question in the chat. Uh, I think Alex, you can answer. Uh, work equipment. Uh, do you start with? Uh, oh yeah, from that's from Tarek. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's a great question actually, and you you can do a lot with just free tools. For example, if it, it depends on your platform, right? One tool I would recommend is Open Broadcast Studio because it's cross-platform and the recording quality is as good as it can possibly be, even compared to a premium tool. And it also affords you the option to record your webcam at the same time if that's something you want to do. And in fact, you don't have to. Like some some viewers don't like to see the face of the speaker. Um, especially when it's my face. But then when it comes to editing, that's, yeah, that, I've not actually received any comments about that. I just wanted to clarify. Um, but once you have the recording, you then likely want to look at some editing software. Again, it can depend on the platform. But what I found, and I've used many different editing softwares over the years from like Sony Vegas, Adobe Premiere, Camtasia, even Windows Movie Maker, iMovie, Final Cut, all those things. 
most of it comes down to using three or four very simple functions of the editing software and having some familiarity with a timeline. So it doesn't really matter which you pick, to be honest, there isn't, especially for screencasts, right? Like screencasts are so simple in, this, in the grand scheme of video production. We're not talking about any crazy special effects or anything like that. And so really it just comes down to what tools you have. It could be iMovie, which, does that come pre-installed on macOS and is it free, Leanne? Yes, to both. Yes. Yeah, so I just recalled with QuickTime, which is also installed already on Mac, and then edit with iMovie. As you say, the editing that I do is very minimal. It's really just cutting things out, and that's pretty much it. And just a quick interjection is that um, Anisa, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, mentioned that the problem comes with recording since it causes their fans to run wild and also editing, exporting can take hours. That is a very genuine problem. There are a few kind of solutions available if you haven't got the most powerful machine. Um, for example, if you edit from an external solid state drive, preferably, what happens if you put it all on the same drive is that now you're reading the software, like you're reading iMovie, like that's loading off the disk or the solid state drive. Um, and you're also now making lots of reads to the drive for the video clips. And that can create, that can make things kind of slow. And then the computer relies on memory and that can run out and then things feel slow. So it's a really good practice to, to edit on an external device, like using an external drive for your media. Um, you can, very inexpensive, like you can get a solid state drive for about $30, $35 nowadays. Um, the other thing is that there are, there are options within the software. For example, when you play back the video to edit and preview it, you might be previewing it in the full resolution, which might be something like 1080p. That's, that's full HD, right? And the resolution of many sort of external monitors and things like that. But what you could consider is playing it back um, at a scaled down resolution. Now there's less pixels, now there's less in the computer's memory, it can perform better. And finally, at the end of the day, you know, you don't really need the recording to be full HD. You can get away with like 720p or even um, like, a, I would probably say 720p nowadays is, is the lower limit. But back in the day, I used to make videos which were like, 640 by 360 and just zoomed in really close on the code. But again, smaller files means more performance. And the final thing I would say on that, and it's one of the beautiful things about Scrimba, is that anybody listening, anybody at all on the web is, is free to make a scrim. Scrims are like the interactive videos you see when you watch something like the front end career path or a module on Scrimba. And you yourself can make one by um, going to the link in the chat, which I'll post in a second. And the beauty of this is you don't need any software this isn't, we're not really advocating for this, by the way, there are, that if you were actually to make a video, you might be better off doing it on YouTube because you have the benefits of reaching a wider audience. Scrimba doesn't lend itself to creating and broadcasting your videos. Um, we'll always, or at least in the, in the, in the upcoming future, it will always be about the main courses and stuff. But again, just to say the beauty is that you can then edit it within the browser. And because you're not really recording a video, which is again, very data intensive, you're recording keystrokes effectively and cursor placements. Um, the files are tiny, the editing is Swift, it could be a great thing to look at if you are um, wanting to unlock some of the benefits of talking about code and making videos, but don't care for the hassle of tooling or can't deal with the processing power. To answer a question from Alana, she was asking whether it's easier to start with videos or live streams. I do both over on the Scrimba channel. I've actually done one live stream on my own channel. Oh, I saw that. How did that go? <laughs> yeah, 12 people watched, which is 12 more than I expected. So <laughs> quite good. So in terms of what's easier, I 
probably find live streaming slightly easier in a way because there's no editing for a start. (laughs) That might be a pitfall at times. And it's a lot more on the fly. That said, if you're looking to boost your online presence and target that SEO, live streaming might not be the way to go because it's well, it kind of depends what you do, I suppose. But for example, I was live coding a CSS battle, which is unlikely to kind of break the internet. Maybe you wanted to do a live stream of explaining a particular point. I suppose you could do that and then your SEO would be okay. So to answer your question, there's pros and cons of both. I suppose the best thing to do would be to try out both and see which you find easier. I suppose recording the videos is less pressure while you're doing it it's more preparation beforehand I, I agree completely like honestly i think it'd be pretty nerve-wracking if you've never spoken to a computer um to do like a live stream but i think you can overcome that with just a simple mentality change which is that you know instead of thinking about it like a grand presentation just imagine you're on a zoom call with a friend or someone from the scrimba community or a co-worker and you're just explaining a concept to them it's so relaxed and you just happen to be recording yeah that's a very good point I think this could be a nice segue into, and, and keep the questions coming, by the way, but we're absolutely loving this, or at least I, I certainly am. What about you guys? Yeah, definitely. So yeah, yeah. please please keep the questions coming. Um, it could be a good segue into like video ideation, because once you have your tools and you have the confidence, it's like, uh, what, what should I make videos about? How do you approach coming up with ideas and topics for your personal YouTube channel, Leanne? They kind of come to me in a way. So... From, let's say, three main sources, they are reading around the internet, not CSS, usually. If I find some funny little tip or part of CSS that I didn't previously know about that I think is interesting. And I also find them sometimes in the comments. I make one video and then someone asks underneath, can you make a video about blah, blah? Or they might suggest, oh, do you know, there's also blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, cool. I'll make a video about that then. And then sometimes it's, what I want to learn myself. So have a look at my channel. I have one about custom curses. So I heard about them. I wanted to know how to make them. So those are the three main things. And I keep a list of potential video topics because sometimes you come across them you know, if you're just looking at showing the queue at the chemist or whatever. Um, I just keep a list on my phone, all the topics that I've come across and then choose whichever one I'm really interested in. Or sometimes I use, there are certain tools can use to check out which topics have high search a lot of people are searching for it on youtube and there is low competition you you should be making things which are interesting to you as well because if you're just chasing the seo that's going to get miserable quickly but that's it isn't it like if it's something you've recently had to figure out you know you're and you find interesting i think it'll come more naturally to you then to talk about it and i honestly think it's worth separating in your head the two ideas of you know, making videos and enjoying the videos and just accept that if it helps just more, if it helps just one person, that's enough. If it helps two people, which it certainly will, if it helped one, that's, that's great. Now you've got twice the output for your effort. And from there, who knows, but if you go in trying to be an influencer or, or trying to build an, a big audience um, from day one, it could backfire. It could, it could affect your long-term motivation. And at the end of the day, you want to have fun if you're to do it for a while. And, and I think your videos are super fun, by the way, Leanne. And like, I think what you've done, I'm actually quite 
I want to say, I don't know if it's envious or something, but like, I really wish I had something like that. Like you've got a niche around sort of CSS and fun little CSS features. And whilst I'm not, I don't mean to underestimate the amount of effort that goes into them. They, they look to be quite manageable, like something you can do in an afternoon or, or a weekend or something like that, which means you get to make lots of them. Whereas if you'd perhaps, um, you know, decided to, to make a whole course or to make 50 minute long videos or something that that could possibly really drain your energy and affect your ability to do it long term. But when it does come to growth on YouTube and growth in most things, whether it's in your career or personal development or on a blog or social media, the only way to do it really is persistence. And like the way you're persistent is when you do it for a long time, right? And everything I've seen would suggest that you're going to keep doing this for a while, Leon, aren't you? Yeah, thanks for that. I think it's worth mentioning as well. You never know what idea is going to take off. So you can research on various tools, you know, the ones I discussed earlier with the low competition and high search rate. But if you don't really know what you're searching for, it's going to be difficult to identify them. So my most popular video was found completely randomly, was something I struggled with. I didn't know how to do it. I figured it out and then I made the video. Turns out a lot of people struggled with the same thing. It's now got a thousand views, which I didn't expect. And it is the Google material icons one. The reason people struggle with that is because you basically have to load a tag into the HTML, but the docs don't make that clear. So make things which interest you and you never know, you might just a gold mine, basically. Because I wasn't expecting loads of people to watch that, but it turned out that many people had had the same problem that I'd had. That video must have been so genuinely helpful and, and you're being rewarded for it in, in exchange for views and likes and things and subscribers and things like that. And, and it reminds me a lot of one of my experiences, which is that I was learning a database tool called SQLize and the documentation was just driving me nuts. Like I wasn't getting anything from the docs. I, I had to patch it all together from like GitHub issues with questions, like overflow questions, blog posts here and there. I kind of set out to make some YouTube videos to uh, bring it all together. And the, the gratitude that I received to this day in the comments, like is, is it, by the way, if you're looking for a reason to start a YouTube channel, um, it's really nice to get to help people. Like, it's really nice when someone leaves a comment and they're like, oh, thank you. This is the thing I was looking for. And, and you know, the kind of appreciation you probably feel when you find the missing answer is now going to be coming your way. And you get a lot of good vibes from that and probably opportunities as well if you do it in the in the right way. But yeah, solving, yeah. solving your own itch is like such great advice. There was another point I wanted to make. Um, YouTube is like ridiculously easy in one respect, which is that what I did when I was ideating videos to get, I was trying to get a lot of subscribers. I don't agree with my goal, but it was the goal I was, I was set on um, for better or for worse. I would like go on websites like Free Code Camp and find trending tutorials like in written form and then I would YouTube them and if there wasn't a YouTube version I was like boom I can literally make a video I wouldn't plagiarize it obviously like I would do my own twist and, and build it myself and things but like I knew that was a guaranteed like successful video like I just knew it would be because there is there is probably 50% of people who want to read a tutorial and 50% who want to watch a YouTube video so you can literally like adapt it for a different format and that even if it was identical you're bringing value to people and it's awesome and then the other thing what's worth 
worth doing is like subscribing and following a lot of people on YouTube and Twitter, because you will just by browsing, see trends. Like you'll see the Level Up Tuts uploaded a video about Svelte and it's, it's done really well. You know, James Quick uploaded a video about VS Code tips and it got like 100,000 views overnight, which was a lot compared to his other videos and same on the Free Code Camp channel and things like that. So you kind of start to build a view of the world where you know that certain topics are going to bring you more attention. But yes, on the topic of YouTubers like Level Up Tuts and James Quick and Free Code Camp and who else, um, I would love to know who some of your favorite YouTubers are. Like who are some coding, sorry, I don't mean like, you know, what's his name? Danny Dobrik, whoever is, what's his name? Jason, Jason, oh, bugger me, I forgot his name. But I'm not talking about like beauty makeup people and stuff, but like coders. Like what, what are some of your favorite coding YouTubers and why do you subscribe to them? Let us know in the fireside chats. What, what about you guys? Like, are there any particular, Michael, you are like a encyclopedia of coding resources. Like I'd be some, but I've, but I've seldom noticed you mention YouTube videos. Actually, you're normally referring to like articles or books or podcasts. Are there any YouTube channels in particular you look forward to them uploading a new video? Normally, yeah, normally I kind of recommend materials that benefited me most. And usually, usually like I discover new things with YouTube, but I really learn about things by reading about them, uh, like docs or books or blog posts. Um, so it's kind of, yeah, YouTube for me is like a gateway drug into some kind of new new tech. I'll look through my subscriptions and I'll let you know. Um, yeah, I come back the, to this. There are a fair few that I, I quite enjoy, yeah. Kevin Powell. I knew you were going to say Kevin Powell. You, I mean, <laughs> you're a big Kevin Powell YouTube fan. I know that. I'm not surprised. Like his videos are great. We see um, Brad Travesty in the chat. Um, Kevin Powell, Danny mentioned as well. Come on, let's hear some more of your favorite. Yeah. MPJ, the um, he's been gone for a while. Um, do, you, do you remember MPJ? He's like the Swedish guy, fun, fun function, I think. I think he quit. Yeah, he, he does some other advocacy thing. Um, Coda Coda, I love her videos. Do, do you know that like, her husband is like a professional videographer or video editor, one of one of the two. And so I think when she starts, I don't know her personally, by the way, I'm, I'm drawing this from watching her videos, but she didn't really know how to make videos, but she knew how to code and clearly how to teach. And then her husband would help edit them. And rather than just like pull them together, like he added so many, despite my earlier comments about special effects, like they go overboard with animations and effects and things like that. And, and combined, they're just the best videos. I'm such a big fan. Uh, Anya Cabal, she's great as well. You quite like Anya as well, don't you, Leanne? Definitely. I think her tutorials are really fun. I feel like we might sound biased sometimes at Scrimber because obviously Anya is a teacher at Scrimber and we love her content. But I think I think her YouTube channel is great in its own right. And she's like, uh, she seems to be smashing it as far as I'm concerned. Like, just great video ideas and bringing on guests and things. Like, didn't she build like a clone of? I want to say it was like a Netflix clone or something. And then she got an engineer from Netflix to come. I think it was a different company, but she got an engineer from Netflix to come and review her code and stuff. That was so clever. Oh, cool. Hmm. The Net Ninja. What's that about, Marika? I've seen, I've seen them come up a lot, but I've not really seen their videos. Um, Tyler Potts, I recognize. Um, oh yeah. Then, Net Ninja is pretty good. Really? What's the, what's the channel about? Mm. All sorts of things. So it's basically like front end, back end, uh, you know, databases and, yeah, he's really good. I'm not entirely sure where he's from, like somewhere up north, like Manchester. Or oh, something. he's British. Oh, sick. Yeah. Have you guys come across Ben Awad? Yeah, I saw a man post about Ben Awad in the chat. I like his videos. So what have we spoken about? We've spoken a little bit about ideation and confidence and 
um, how to edit videos. We haven't really spoken much about YouTube in and of itself. And this is something I'd like to get your take on, Michael, because this is the kind of interesting part. Like when you were managing of a Scrimba YouTube channel before Leanne, is it fair to say that like it wasn't like a highly creative endeavor? Really, you were taking some of the Scrimba courses that were repurposed to be YouTube videos and uploading them, which, which meant all the focus was on optimizing them so as many people saw them as possible. What kind of things did you consider? Yeah, correct. So uh, we were basically uh, taking out YouTube video, well, all the, like the whole Scrimba course, compiling into like an hour or three hour long video and just uploading into one thing. Uh, like for example, Alpine JS uh, video on YouTube or our view course uh, and many more. Yeah, they're basically all done in that way. So it's like um, the, I suppose the easy parts like the title and description are kind of already there. Uh, I didn't really have to think about it because, you know, Scrimbo has already come up with title and description. Uh, but the rest of the things that are required is you need to choose like which section it goes in. And then you basically try to optimize the title to make sure that you have SEO optimization on the title that it ranks pretty highly. Uh, and also like everyone likes convenience when you're looking for things and that will be like timestamps. So when you go to a video and you see that the length bar on the video is conveniently split into these like really neat chapters. So you basically have to split that with, with a timestamp. Um, and on YouTube, it's pretty simple. You just in the description box, you type like, for example, uh, zero, zero, colon, zero, five, colon, zero, zero. And that means like from fifth minute, there will be a certain chapter. And that would create this, that effect that people can just click on it and know uh, what they're watching. And obviously I kind of got the idea from, you know, when you go on compilations of different songs and there is always one top comment that is like listing all the songs mm. in the whole video with timestamps. And uh, I was like, yeah, clearly people need that. Uh, so I just started inserting them into Scrimbo and then I noticed that other YouTubers do the same thing. So I was like, oh, okay. So I accidentally did the right thing on that one. And then, yeah, like you can also pin comments and, uh, interact in general with whoever comments on your videos that propels them uh, a little bit higher up, but mainly, yeah, it's all about like SEO is probably the most important thing and we could probably talk about it separately. Sure. Yeah. I think, well, here's a question about SEO for you. It is a bit of a loaded question because I've, uh, yeah, like basically I did this um, YouTube course at the beginning of the year called the Part-Time YouTuber Academy. It's quite expensive. It's run by a guy with like a million subscribers and I, and I learned a lot actually. I don't remember all the details actually, but one thing they went into a lot was this YouTube SEO and things like that. And the, it seems to be a bit nuanced. Um, so I'm happy to like discuss it a little bit, but I'm wondering what you think about like tags and things like that because back in the day i'm talking like 2010 or something youtube wasn't as populated and sophisticated right the algorithms evolved um nowadays i'm curious like what what the impact of tags you think is uh, in the video whether it's like just adding keywords to the description or there is even a tagging feature when you upload a video i think you've noticed yeah i kind of read conflicting information about it uh some people say tags are useless but i kind of thought you know, if, if it's there, uh, I might as well use it. And if it's useless, then fair enough. But if it's actually useful, then I'm not missing the opportunity to actually use that feature. So for me, it was the tag. I, I tried to optimize the tags to be very thematical. 
So I go from like a broader technology, just a couple of tags. Like for example, if it was a course about Vue, then I would just say like JavaScript, HTML, CSS, front end. And then I would try to pretty much have all the tags from the chapters of what people might be Googling for. So for example, if you're learning Vue, you would want to learn about Vue Router, or you want to learn about Vue Props and all the different key things that people learn uh, about Vue. And if it's covered in the course, uh, then I'll definitely tag it as a separate thing. So if someone uh, goes to YouTube and they type Vue, uh, how to root um, to an element. So due to that tag and also possibly due to uh, a timestamp in your description, you, uh, YouTube can optimize your video a little bit higher up. So the timestamps, they kind of serve a dual purpose. On one hand, they're convenient to your viewers, but on the other hand, they're loading your description with SEO optimized terms that people will definitely be searching for. I like I like what you're saying a lot because the number one thing when you're making content as an independent creator, whether you're like a dev doing it on the side especially, is just to create content that is valuable. Like the, the biggest indicator to YouTube is going to be that someone clicked on your video then stayed on your video. And if the timestamp is what enables them to find the specific thing they're looking for and watch that specific section, um, that, could, that can only be a, a good thing. And yeah, like you've yeah. probably noticed that, right? Like when you search for some questions on Google, uh, they, they actually show you a YouTube video with a timestamp about where the answer starts and ends. And I find it very hard to imagine that data isn't coming from the timestamps. Yeah, correct. It, it does come from a timestamp. Uh, although I do feel like the video needs to be really popular to hit oh, yeah. the first page of Google. Oh, yeah. For Google then to clip that particular part. But yeah, like if you learn how to do some, like, you know, how to put a bookshelf on, then uh, yeah, YouTube basically shows you, like, well, Google shows you a YouTube video with a clip on how to do it. Um, but you, you never know. Maybe your channel, once, you know, it grows in, to such an extent that actually you'll benefit from it. Uh, but it's like that case that you can never win a lottery if you don't buy a ticket. Uh, so. If you do create those timestamps and your video does go really well and Google does rank it as the first thing to show, the only way it's going to show it is with a timestamp. So yeah, totally. like a lot of these things like on their own, they seem a little bit silly and superfluous and why do I bother even doing them? But a combination of them does bring a lot of effect. It, it's kind of, it's just really like doing SEO work is pretty dull. It's not the most interesting thing in the world, uh, but the results of it are pretty cool. I would definitely say it's like good hygiene and if it and just if you prioritize about helping the viewer find what they need the rest will take care of itself like seo is a complicated yeah. thing like if you are amazon trying to rank on the first page for a very expensive keyword around a product then that's the whole profession but as a developer creating content on the side uh, you just have to focus on being valuable to people. That's the, the best leverage you have. Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's basically just saying very clearly what your video is about at the very beginning of description, creating a title that describe that's not like, let's learn React, but it's very specific, like, uh, you know, recipe app with React hooks. Uh, and then you have like your timestamps about use state hook and so on. 
Um, I honestly feel like it's all about being. we could have a totally separate fireside chat about this because it really has to do with like hooking users in and making sure they stick around or viewers or readers, whatever it might be. Um, I'm, I'm conscious that we only have six minutes left and, and quite a few things to cover. Um, also, let us yeah. know in the chat if you have any burning questions about YouTube or starting a YouTube channel. I think for me, and I can't speak for everybody, the biggest success of this fireside chat would be if, you know, a week from now or two weeks from now, um, one of you reaches out to us and says, hey, we started a YouTube channel. Here's our first YouTube video. So if you have any questions that are stopping you from making progress, like they're the ones I think we should prioritize. Um, but just while, I, just while I give you an opportunity to write your question, um, I want to point out that everything we've spoken about as far as titles and descriptions and tags and so on are concerned have to do with someone making a search, right? Because Google or YouTube will match the search query to some text that appears on the video. But as you probably know, you don't pick most videos to watch based on the text. You watch them on your YouTube TV app or the recommendation feed or the home page on YouTube because of the thumbnail. And this, Leanne, is something that I know you're very aware of because on your channel and indeed the Scrimba channel, the, the thumbnails um, embody a certain characteristic that, that obviously exists for a reason. Could you talk about thumbnails and, and what makes a good thumbnail in your view? When I first started doing the live streams, my thumbnails were rubbish. And uh, the reason for that was I was approaching them in the wrong way, trying to fit a lot of information onto them about what the stream was going to be about. But that's not the right place for that information. That needs to go in the description and the keywords in the title. What the thumbnail needs to do is give as short a description as possible of not a description, more of a title, which tells the person scrolling what the video is about, but also grabs their attention. So for my personal channel, I've just got SS battle or CSS typography tips or animated neon buttons. Over on the Scrimba YouTube channel, we this week are going to switch the thumbnails up slightly so that it's easier to differentiate between the different types of live stream. We're going to have different colors for that. So hopefully it will be clearer what each one is. But all of this is to say, basically, it's important to have some consistency and clarity in the thumbnail. I think something else that I think has always been there really is like faces. I think if I look at the Scrimba YouTube, I mean, your YouTube channel is always featuring your face. And I think is, a, is there even one of you wearing boxing gloves? Like I would click that out of pure intrigue, even if not for the topic at hand. Um, but the same on the Scrimba YouTube channel, right? Like if you are talking to Florin Pop or someone, like, you know, Florin is a recognizable kind of person. There's, there's definitely, uh, and people are scrolling, right? They're not always reading the whole titles, but they might see Florin's face. They're like, oh, I know him. What's he up to? It, it can possibly be the thing that, that draws them in. Cool. Any questions in the chat? Yeah, Marika's right. Homework for next week. Everybody create a YouTube video. <laughs> great. That applies to you too, Marika. So I'll look forward to your video. <laughs> the question the audio in recording comes with noise any tool to reduce it i think two things there it would be the mic is important to get decent one you don't have to spend hundreds i don't really think no. um you can if you want <laughs> yeah um the mic i think in the editing alex you've got some software that helps with that don't you 
I haven't personally used anything myself. The most highly impactful thing you can do if you were to make a, a YouTube video about programming is to invest in a external microphone. And it can be really cheap, like $10, seriously. It could be one of those lapel ones that you, that you clip onto your collar because literally anything is better than an, uh, an internal microphone on your laptop. And, and the reason why it matters actually is you don't have to buy a lot of gear, but if your audio is bad, people will click away. Like if, if audio is not nice, you, you will click away someone else's video and the same applies. Um, if you if you happen to record something and it doesn't sound great, there are measures you can take in post-production, right? And that there are tools, like a lot of the tools I described, like iMovie and stuff like that, they, they, they don't necessarily have built-in just like flick switches to improve it, um, but other tools do, like Camtasia, which is specifically designed for screencasts on macOS and Windows, but that's a premium tool, by the way. So is ScreenFlow. They, these have like features like flick switches that let you fix the audio quite quickly um, but there are always youtube videos like if you youtube how to remove background noise or something like that um you know a, a sure tool that will come up is audacity i didn't mention it at first because i didn't want to like overcomplicate things by talking about so many tools but audacity is specifically for audio so you could possibly disconnect the video and the audio fix up the audio and synchronize it back up which sounds a bit involved but you will surely find a youtube video to, to help you through i'm sure it exists and the process is really interesting, actually. But as we as we are pretty much out of time, I won't go into it. I'll just say thank you very much for tuning in. Um, it's always a pleasure to have you. And we hope to see you next week. Bye. Tell us, everyone. Bye.